Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Hello, Relevant Radio world. This is Trending with Timory. Clearly, I'm not Timory. My name is Damon Owens. Delighted to be with you this evening, guest hosting for the wonderful Timory. And uh, we're going to have quite a show, a quite a show. And I'm sure hoping that uh, you'll dial in with some of your thoughts, your experiences, and some of your opinions. But uh, want to wade into um, a, a difficult topic, but not difficult because there's conflict. Uh, difficult because it really needs to uh, be infused with certain principles, with certain uh, attentiveness and a tenderness. And the you may have seen last week on Wednesday, uh, the USCCB, the Doctrine uh, Committee on Doctrine, uh, released uh, a 14-page, easy to read, I tell my kids, it's double-spaced, so don't worry about the size. It's very readable. A document on, I'll name it, Doctrinal Note on the Moral Limits to Technological Manipulation of the Human Body. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Doctrinal Note on the Moral Limits to the Technological Manipulation of the Body. Now you think, like, why, why do they even release that? And why are we talking about it? Why is it worth talking about? Well, let's frame it under the transgender questions. And specifically... The questions of appropriate, of uh, successful, effective, healthy, if you will, technologies, um, sciences, whether they're biological or otherwise, in helping our brothers and sisters who are genuinely uh, at pain, uh, that, that dysphoria of their gender. And I'm using my language carefully because it's part of that parsing, part of that, that understanding uh, first and foremost, that this document is not a document simply on transgender. That would be a gross oversimplification. And, you know, when you find in church documents, the longer the title, uh, the more specific the application. And you need to recognize that, yes, there may be some broader principles and claims, as we'll talk about throughout the show today. But for the most part, it's speaking very specifically about how we use our healthcare system how we use human technology, how we use our, our intellect. And um, just, just so you know, we're going to put that uh, document, a link to that document in the, in the show notes, and you'll be able to see that when you, either with the podcast or get onto the website. We're going to make sure you get your own link to that to read. But very specific about how we rightly use these great gifts of, of technology for their good. And in that sense, there need to be some, there are always moral limits, right? We don't just do things because we can do them. It's one of the points that's made in the document. We do things because these particular gifts of technology actually progress. They actually work toward healthy flourishing of the human person. And this isn't even just an exhaustive look at the moral limits of technology when we're speaking about the body, but a doctrinal note. So I say that at the top of the show, just to, to set all of us at ease, that of, as much as the, the church is, and I say the church, meaning theologians and 
doctrine and dogma and Pope Francis and committees around the world, as this is a pressing issue for the culture, there's much to be said uh, from the perspective of the Bride of Christ, from church, our church. However, this document in its glorious 14 pages and let me count them, uh, 36 footnotes, uh, really is that specific question, just notes as you're in a Catholic hospital, as you're a researcher, as you're a, a surgeon, you know, as you're as a Catholic, and that's another key point, you know, these, this document is, is directed toward uh, Catholics. It's not sort of this broad proclamation to the world, but it is set in these, in these uh, never-changing principles as you're considering new technologies as they come through. Here are the principles that are unchanging. So one of the things I, I, I speak about often, I'm a full-time speaker, I, I'm usually on marriage and family. I was the first executive director of the Theology of the Body Institute out in Philadelphia. And um, many of my talks are related to sex, sexuality, gender, family, you know, all of this, those fundamental truths that come out of uh, scripture, comes out of our teaching, comes out of social science, uh, comes out of a lot of a lot of places. That's that's what I do. So I've been very attentive and um, you know, in contributing as best I can to helping to understand, you know, the the response, the place that each of us has, no matter what station we have, in understanding, but most importantly, in accompanying and helping in being a, a, a force of, of health and flourishing. And let's just name it uh, for the sanctification of those who are deeply, deeply wounded by that dysphoria with their gender. Uh, and dysphoria really is the opposite of euphoria, right? So when we speak about a gender dysphoria, we're talking about, you know, an ill ease. And it, there's there's various degrees of that. There's various experiences, unique experiences. And we very much need to listen as best we can to those who are experiencing this in order to help them. And yet, as beloved members of of the human race, as beloved members of the family of God, as being children of God, we all carry that same dignity of what that means. What does it mean to be a man made in the image and likeness of God? What does it mean to a woman made in the image and likeness of God? And how does the unique circumstances and perhaps even wounds in our own hearts and lives, how does that play out as we, you know, as uh, St. Paul says, as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling? And, you know, it's a controversial, it is a challenging topic precisely because those principles uh, are not agreed to in the world. The, the whole starting point, the first principle of the inalienable, right, irreducible dignity of the human person uh, is uniquely biblical, and I wouldn't even say uniquely Catholic in its expression. And that's when the challenges come, when we start to apply these things to very specific topics. And here's what the, the Committee on Doctrine really has done, I think, very well with their document last week, Doctrinal Notes on the Moral Limits to Technological Manipulation of the Body. Uh, as always, uh, Timmy's, Timory's social media is at Timory on Facebook and on Twitter. And as we go through some of these key points in the document, I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you as you uh, call in and ask your questions or challenges or whatever might be on your heart and mind about this, of course, you know the number, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, as we press in a little bit to this, this particular document, this particular message on the limits 
of technical uh, technology and manipulating the body. So let's just start right in. The very beginning of this document just speaks about the technology. It says, modern technology, this is just paragraph one, modern technology offers an ever-increasing range of means, chemical, surgical, and genetic, for intervening in the functioning of the human body, as well as for modifying its appearance. General statement. These technological developments have provided the ability to cure many human maladies and promise to cure many more. There's the hope. This is it. This has been a great boon to humanity. And that's the first sort of block to, to address here, and I'm glad they went there, as if somehow the principles are setting up some general opposition to technology. That's a complete false falsehood. In fact, many priests and Catholics have been at the forefront of, of technologies for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, right? It's not about the technology. Uh, but modern technology, continuing on here, however, produces possibilities not only for helpful interventions, but also for interventions that are injurious to the true flourishing of the human person. Right? You don't need to have too many examples, right? We can use uh, radiation technology for x-rays and for MRI and, and be able to, to do incredible diagnostic work, or we can build bombs. We can, we can take nuclear fission, fusion, we can take atomic energy, nuclear energy, and we can, gosh, we can give light and heat efficiently and indefinitely uh, to homes in the world. But then again, we can build a bomb. So a simple observation that there are helpful intervent interventions, but there are also some that are injurious to the two flourishing of the person. So how do you know the difference? How, does, is, it, is it up to unique and individual conscience? Is there some overall universal principle or truth? And that's a setup because the answer is yes. Careful, the document continues, careful moral discernment is needed to determine which possibilities should be realized and which should not in order to promote the good of the human person. And to do this discernment, it's necessary to employ, employ criteria. And these criteria must respect the created order that is inscribed in our human nature. And here's the part that really, really just uh, connects with everything that I've had the privilege of working in and around for the last 30 years. Uh, this, this whole connection and the weightedness, the gravitas, if you will, of... Uh, unpacking the truth of human nature, of what it means to be a human person. It is so foundational. It is so instructive. It is so liberating when we can discern, first of all, in fact, the right word is discriminate, right? Discriminate literally means to cut away. When we can write, and of course, there's just discrimination <laughs> and there is unjust discrimination. I'm clearly talking about one that, that appeals to justice. And when we cut away those things that conform to universal truths, then we, in a sense, purify, we simplify the ability to, to figure out how we act, what we do, what's true. Uh, and when it comes to this question, this foundation that the Committee on Doctrine is, is setting up is, is crucial. And their first name section after that introduction is, in fact, the natural order. Before I jump into that, I, I, there, there's a, a foundation that I always, always use because it's, it's essential. Anytime, anytime we speak about gender, particularly transgender uh, theory as it comes through, 
there are so many fundamental things that we need to set first. Otherwise, it turns into a combox war. It turns into yelling and screaming. It turns into my tribe versus yours. It turns into, you know, you hate me or, or, you know, we need to be more welcoming and almost on cue when this document dropped on Wednesday or it was Tuesday, uh, the blogosphere just blew up with all of the usual suspects on all sides, really either cheering or, you know, raspberrying the idea that uh, there are any real moral limits to uh, to helping on the technology those dealing with gender issues. So you've you've got some really strong condemnations from you know celebrity priests and from some organizations dedicated to the transgender theory and uh, and that and that's that's unfortunate. And I think with a document like this, among those of us who are Catholic, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that we're working out our salvation. We're nowhere near perfect. We're very attentive to our own limitations as best we can, to to our own sin, to the survivor bias we have, or to, you know, the laziness and really thinking through. We're not we're not standing on a mountain, you know, condemning, but very much shoulder to shoulder, we have an evangelical responsibility to form these principles in our own hearts, to form these principles in our own mind. And especially on such a big topic like this, transgender, all the more so, even with all the attendant uh, danger and ostracizing and name-calling and, and the, you know, a lot more heat than light, I'm very much a, a proponent of, of just enough heat to stay warm and as much light as we can take so that we can see, right? So usually more light than heat, but I don't dismiss the heat. We need a little bit of heat because, you know, we need to stay warm when it gets, when it gets cold. Uh, the second real important foundation, you know, as we begin this conversation is it is so crucial, so crucial that you and I keep a clear distinction between the person and the issue, between the subject, literally our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters. And yes, this, the percentages of those experiencing you know gender dysphoria and all of its its variation the percentage is extremely low but when you multiply that times 8 billion people on the planet you're talking about a lot of people so it's not something you dismiss because the the percentages are are extremely low and in point of fact it's irrelevant when you are dealing with, with a gender dysphoria who cares how many others are uh, when someone you love i mean truly love your your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your cousin, your best friend, your roommate. Uh, when it gets really personal, you have a unique gifting and calling to understand what is unique to that person and to communicate the two great truths. And they're not science, the two great truths of our humanity, that the way you look at them, the way you attend to them, the way you're present to them, there is no question, I see you. I, I know you, I love you as appropriate to the relation we have, and uh, I will your good. I want the good for you. And to the extent that we're able to do that and communicate that, that's where we can have you know, authentic conversations about how we can help. What is true healing? Does he, is healing even necessary? That's really one of the, the key points of, of, of transgender theory is that this is a, a, a natural uh, variation within this created order. And instead of looking for healing or fixing or any kind of uh, uh, you know treatments, uh, 
remedy that um, we should just be accepting. And that in fact, everything that we thought we knew about gender, everything we thought we knew about sex is probably wrong because we've got someone literally right in front of us who doesn't obviously conform to what we thought we'd known. So, you know, they can't be wrong because they're having an experience and that experience is true for them. So as the theory states, it must be something wrong with the presupposition, the first principles, that maybe it isn't male, female. Maybe it's not man, woman, but in fact, a more nuanced gender. I'm getting ahead of myself. But my point is, when we speak about these things, it's crucial that we have truly in our hearts the distinction between the person and the issue, that we're not here to fix people, and we're not. And when we speak about things like this document, the doctrinal note on the moral limits to technological manipulation of the human body, as I mentioned, we're talking about this from the Committee on Doctrine of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. This is a, a document on doctrine. And there are some beautiful attendant acknowledgments of the tenderness and the, and the necessity to accompany those with this. So it's not a void, you know, of those of that acknowledgement. But make no mistake, it is a doctrinal note. So this is not something you would read, you know, in your friendship to someone uh, for, you know, there may be a 0.1% opportunity where they authentically ask you. But for the most part, this is for our edification. This is so that we can come to see, okay, how do I process this? And that, in fact, to me, is the, is the, the, the understanding of what's being proposed with transgender theory. Let's be crystal clear. There are those of us, brothers and sisters of ours, who have a huge internal disconnect between the acceptance of their sexuality their, or their gender and the biological sex that they've been born with. That exists. There's no one in their, in, in their right mind saying that does not exist in one form or another. Now, we could talk about you know, the, the rise and the social, they call social contagion and the, the popularity and whatnot, but that would be a huge mistake. It would be wrong to dismiss the reality of, of our brothers and sisters. And I've, I've had the privilege and the challenge of, of, of walking you know, with, uh, with a few people who, who um, are really struggling with this. So here's the distinction. There are those who are experiencing something, and it's, it's deeply painful, and it's jarring. And they're searching for a meaning of it. What does it mean? What does it mean for them? What does it mean maybe for their life, their future, for their relationship with God and with Jesus Christ and with the church, with their own family? You know, what does it mean to me? And in that search for meaning, we have been given in the last mm, 60 years, probably since the early 60s, a growing and now accelerated in the last 10 years set of meanings. We've been given a vocabulary. We've been given a theory, a proposal that says, ah, there are people that are experiencing this, and this is what it means. And the criticism, the authentic critique, in fact, Pope Francis's strong language against this transgender ideology is specifically in this latter part. It is never against people, never. And the, even the accusations notwithstanding, the reality is that we are all searching authentically for true ways of helping our brothers and sisters to work through this, to receive everything they need, whether it's intellectual, whether it is affective, whether it is medical, whether it's technological, whether it is any of the logies, right? Uh, we're all dedicated to helping them. And I think if we accepted that, I think a lot of the, the heat and the temperature would go down, but 
the way that gender theology, I'll say theology, the gen, that's another one, gender ideology has been presented to us is that you can't separate that. That you can't separate that. That when someone looks you in the eye and says, I feel like I'm wrong, I'm, I was born in the wrong body, that we in respect need to accept that as is. We need to accept uh, the language, the um, the description of that experience, uh, prima facie, on its face, and then work from that. That in point of fact, yeah, they, you know, they actually might be in a different body. And the, the extreme is not the answer. The other side is not the answer, that we just don't believe anything they say, right? But imagine experiencing something you've never experienced before. You've probably been here. And you're you're groping, you're you're grasping for ways of explaining it, and your inability to explain your awkwardness, you know the the difficulty in finding the right words and using of analogy and of imagery, and you use everything you can to help someone understand. There's a heart message there. Is my point that even the vocabulary may may make difficult to get, but we have to do that work. You know, I'm, it's it's spring. I should have give everybody happy spring at the beginning of the of the show. And I'm looking outside my window right now out here in Philadelphia and a giant, giant dogwood tree is just exploded. And then, and, and the, you know, the, the, the flowers are beautiful, but my sinuses are feeling every one of them. And this morning I was talking to my wife. She says, how you feel? I said, Oh, I feel like my head is pounding. I feel like I got a vice on my head. I feel like, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, all these typical analogies and it's, it's weak, but it's, here's my point. To think that I literally have a vice and that the solution would be to get the vice out of my head, we know that's ridiculous. It's an ad absurdum kind of argument. But because of the tenderness and the newness of of transgender, there seems to be this tribalism, this this break that says we need to listen and accept everything as it's being described as proscriptive to to helping you know our, our brothers and sisters with with dysphoria, and and I, that I, that just doesn't map. That just doesn't map. So we need to listen when someone says, I feel like I'm wrong. I'm, I'm born in the wrong body. I always knew that I was a boy. I always knew that I was a girl. Well, you know, always acted that way. You know, we need to listen to that, but to listen to the heart message. And as we look through this document on this doctrinal note, it's really a, a um, it's not new. This is what I think is beautiful. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of these key points. But what's beautiful is that with these 36 footnotes and you know 14 double-sided pages, it's reiterating what we've always known about the human person and giving those broad principles in order to understand how we can rightly use technology. And that's that's what I think is beautiful. It's right in that line. And in that sense, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about this wonderful document. I look forward to hearing your calls. And we'll be back right after the break. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. All right, Relevant Radio listeners, Trending with Timory. My name is Damon Owens, guest hosting for the wonderful Timory. You can still reach us on the social media at Timory, Facebook and Twitter. And we are talking about the document released by the Committee on Doctrine last week in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, doctrinal note on the moral limits to technological manipulation of the human body. Yeah, that's a mouthful, right? Uh, of course, you heard the number to dial in, 888 Can't wait to hear some of your comments. We've got some callers on the line in just a moment. I just wanted to, again, orient us to being able to be confident 
orienting us not just to have head knowledge, but to have the courage to do the heart work of, uh, of, of accompanying those. If God places those people in our lives, we need to be, we need to be the best. We need to be the model in what it means into to walking and journeying with people who are, who are dealing with gender uh, dysphoria and confusion, uh, and not by throwing ideas at them, not by answering questions that they're not even asking yet. That's one of the principles in evangelization. And we talk about meeting people where they are. It's not about withholding truth at all. But the greatest truth of all is that they are a daughter or son of God the Father, and that is inalienable. It is, it is inseparable. And whenever that becomes doubtful, it doesn't matter how much truth we're able to speak in English or Spanish or Latin or Greek, it's, uh, it's indecipherable. It's incomprehensible. John Paul II said that in one of his, his documents. If love is not experienced, life itself becomes incomprehensible. So we're gifted with this, uh, this doctrinal statement here from the USCCB because it helps us to order in our own hearts and minds you know, what is possible, what is true, how do we hear with our hearts and with our minds uh, things that people say in, about this experience that you know, they're struggling to help understand and they're struggling for the meaning. And the bottom line is that the meaning that has been uh, heavily you know, proposed, I'm such an such a adult word, you know, the transgender ideology has not been proposed. Uh, it very much is a, is a, is a movement uh, and the bullying that has happened. And that's the right word to use in professional spheres in public spheres in social media in, uh, in, in all areas is there's nothing but a full on press that if you don't follow and believe this set of meaning that has been proposed in transgender theory, then you are, and you hate people who have gender dysphoria when in fact, uh, that, Attempted explanation for the meaning of their experience is rooted in a lie. It's rooted in error. And why does that matter? Because no matter how compassionately we offer answers that they may want to hear, the bottom line is it is not healing. It is not healthy. It is not an act of love when it's separated from, from the truth, either of their dignity in our relationship with them or in helping them to work out that that meaning, and and you know one of those questions about you know the language that's being used is uh, is uh, is worthy. So let's let's, let's hear from uh, Julie. Julie's joining us from uh, Portland, Maine, and she's got a question about this. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, my question is, you know, we all know God makes no mistakes, right? And before he knit us in the womb, he knew us, and he has a plan for our life. So in terms of the folks who have true gender dysphoria, which, and I'm a, I'm a nurse, I mean, I'm sort of scientifically based, mm-hmm. it, there is a very small, very small percent, you know, of the population who truly suffers from this. Um, and it is real. So, you know, in terms of you were saying earlier that it's real, I don't disagree but if, if, if someone says, oh, I was born in the wrong body, I, I feel like that implies that, you know, and if we accompany them on that journey and that question, aren't we somehow saying that God made a mistake? Mm. It, that, that, and that's not possible. God doesn't make any mistakes. So if God, you know, made somebody a male, right, well, we, an XY makes a male or an XX makes a female, 
Mm-hmm. You know, and we do have very rare things like XXY syndrome or, you know, you get really scientifically into the weeds. But I don't know. I think if somebody is, is born a male, I think as Catholics, we would largely say that was God's plan for that person and God doesn't make any mistakes. So how do we, how do we, I don't know, how do we wrestle with that? Yeah, Jill, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. I think for, you know, for believers, uh, this is this is a point of real. Uh, I want to say pain. This is a point of real conflict when we hear statements from people who are in pain. They're wounded, and they're trying to explain the pain. And you said you're a nurse, so you know, maybe a, an analogy might be, you know, a a child comes in, and I say child because of the limited you know vocabulary, and they're experiencing something that has you know a twelve syllable Latin name you know in their chest, right and after a certain number of tests, you can you can find out what that is. But you say, how you know what's wrong? What, the first question you, as a nurse or you know a physician assistant or a doctor, will ask is, "Hey, what's wrong?" And the awkward words that are used to describe that, you're professionally trained to 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 find the clues, you know, to 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 hear what they're saying or what they're trying to say, but not fall into the one extreme of literalism. You know, when they says, it feels like a monkey standing on my chest. It feels like somebody punched me in the chest. I can't breathe. It feels like I'm, I'm stuck between, you know, t- whatever, you know, they'll come up with these the best they can based on their life experience, based on their vocabulary and their, their ability to, you know, to, to find their own meaning. But they come to you specifically because they know they can speak their mind and they can use awkward words. They can say things that, that, you know, sound stupid. But then you're listening and saying, mm, wow, that's pressure on the chest. And then you might do a certain test where you're, you're on the left side and you're looking for the kidneys or the, you know, this is just my, my non-professional attempt at an analogy that when someone says that they were born in a wrong body, I think our posture, like you know, a nurse that you are, is to hear what they're trying to say. And when we're privileged to have sort of that personal encounter with them, it's not up to us to find the answers for them. You know, they're, they're not a project to fix. And as I'm saying this to you, Julie, I'm saying this to myself because I, I'm, I'm a recovering engineer, as I've said for many years, and meaning, you know, I love order. I, I, I need to know, you know, what the law, the rule is, even if I break it. I, the only way I just why I broke it was because I knew that the, the rule or the boundary was there. So in, in this sense, I, I, I love that as well. So when someone says something that is, you know, let's use the big words, when it is ontologically impossible, and the ontology is the study of being. What does it mean to be a human person? When it is anthropologically impossible, right? Uh, and we should have the same patience, and in fact, the same curiosity, um, kindness, and empathy that we would have when we're trying to discover a physiological disease. You know, uh, the difference between a stomach ache from too much sugar and a, and a tumor in their stomach. And regardless of the words that you know the child or the, the patient might say to the doctor or to you as a nurse, there's truth that's in there that you know we need in our in our wholeness, in our healthy ability to help them put words around it. Maybe even just affirming them, say, like, "Oh, wow, a monkey on your chest! Wow, that's got to be crazy." Uh, okay, well, what does this hurt? You know, so it's not a threat to the ontological order when someone says that they were born in a wrong body. But there is a threat when the transgender ideology, these folks that are proposing the meaning, the overarching meaning of what born in a wrong body means. And they're, 
they're proffering that to people who are really suffering and saying, oh, it's because you are. And here's how we can get you into the body you know, that, that you believe that you are, and then all of this dysphoria will go, and you'll go right to the euphoria. And I, I say that you know, simplistically, not, not in a mocking way. But the whole transgender theory is, is precisely what needs to be critiqued in the way that you said it. God does not make a mistake. You are absolutely correct. Um, there is a created order. And here's, here's a quote here from paragraph three of this document that we're going through. Uh, they say that um, Pope Francis has warned against a technological paradigm that treats the natural world as something formless, completely open to manipulation. We can do whatever we want. He observes that human beings have always been intervening in nature, but for a long time this meant being in tune with and respecting the possibilities offered by the things themselves. It was a matter of receiving what nature itself allowed, as if from its own hand. Now, by contrast, we are the ones to lay our hands on things, attempting to extract everything possible from them while frequently ignoring or forgetting the reality in front of us. And here's the statement. What is true of creation as a whole is true of human nature in particular. There is an order in human nature that we are called to respect an utmost respect. And in fact, because of the dignity of the human person, that respect affects all of creation. That that's this is this is this is what's at stake. This is why even, you know, folks who look at Pope Francis and think his his accompaniment and statements on lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, you know, members is somehow leading toward a change in doctrine. And they're just gobsmacked. They're they're slack jawed when they hear him talk about the colonization of gender ideology about it being this this uh this imminent threat to the dignity of the human person strong language but he's clearly not talking about the people in this experience but those who proffer an explanation that on its face on its face contradictions contradicts not only human nature in particular but it it contradicts the whole order of creation and what is that in specifics Paragraph four, it's a crucial aspect of the order of nature created by God, here it is, is the body-soul unity of the human person. Throughout her history, the church has opposed dualistic conceptions of the human person that do not regard the body as an intrinsic part of the human person, as if the soul were essentially complete in itself and the body were merely an instrument used by the soul. In opposition to dualisms, both ancient and modern, the church has always maintained that while there is a distinction between the soul and the body, both are constitutive of what it means to be human. Since spirit and matter in human beings are not two natures united, right, the spiritual and the material, but rather their union forms a single nature. So here's, here's that, that, that first principle that cannot be abandoned about the truth of the human person. We don't, we don't have a body. Rightly understood, we are a body. We don't have a soul. But rightly understood, we are a soul. And, and the distinctions and the right you know, duality of the physical body and the spiritual soul somehow unites into the single nature that we call human nature, right? The angelic nature is pure spiritual. The divine nature 
No, not with Christ, with his, his teenagers. He's the beautiful exception. But there's a divine nature, right? But this idea that a soul, well, here's what they say. A soul can never be in another body, much less be in the wrong body. This soul only comes into existence together with this body. What it means to be a human person necessarily includes bodiliness. And in a, a great section of the theology of the body, bodiliness, he reminds us, John Paul II, bodiliness has its own sex. Right? So the human person is necessarily bodily and the bodily has its sex. Human beings are physical beings sharing a world with other physical beings. Right? But that human nature is a, is a beautifully rich and uh, inalienable truth. That when we are a part of this, this public conversation, in fact, not even just conversation, that sounds so passive, uh, we carry some of the, the largest and most extensive healthcare systems in the world. And we don't do this for monetary or for political or for you know, capitalist means. Uh, healthcare, hospitals, university systems, research, I mean, all these institutions are ancient and they all flow out of this dignity of the human person. This call as the bride of Christ to f help individuals and cultures flourish in, in unveiling that truth. So this is not a side issue. You know, you, there, there are statements on economics. There are statements on politics and geopolitics that come out of the Vatican or the, the bishops and locally or universally. And, and there's a lot of you know, truth that come out of that in the applications. But when it comes to the human person, this is what we call a core competency. This is, the, this is the keep of the castle where all the treasure is. Christ revealed the deepest truth about who we are made in his image and likeness and what it means that to be made male and female in his image and likeness. All of those, those truths, this is, this is the keep of the castle where all the treasure is. And everything that flows out of that into the kingdom comes from this, this both truth, it's both from reason and from revelation. Um, I, I, we can't back off from this. We can't, you know, step back and say, "Oh, this is too contentious." You know, just let people live their lives. As Pope Francis has said, Pope Benedict has said, uh, in calling not just in personal opinion, but in in the, the summa of the Church's role, is that uh, this is an existential threat to even understanding and living the, the gospel and the salvation story. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Hey, give us a call. Love to hear uh, your thoughts, your uh, your concerns. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, and we'll be back right after the break. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Hey everybody, Damon Owens here sitting in for uh, the wonderful Timory. And today we've been talking about a difficult subject, and, um, but a necessary one. Uh, the document that came from the USCCB last week, very narrowly focused, very specific, uh, a doctrinal note on the moral limits the technological manipulations of the human body. I'm going to keep saying that enough that it'll just roll off of my tongue. We have a link for that in the uh, in the show notes, and you'll see that if you're linked to the podcast, we'll highly recommend reading it. It's uh, it's a, it's an easy flow read, very well written, 
um, just 14 double-sided pages. Every time I say that, I think about my kids and like, I have to write a report. And, and can I use triple space? Well, it's not triple space, but it's 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 got readable spacing that I think will edify um, all of us, no matter what our encounter with this. So we've got a call, call here, Paul from South Mississippi, joining us here. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Hey there. Uh, I, well, I'm I'm a recovering engineer as well, and <laughs> and I just wanted to say <laughs> say that um your <clears throat> your explanation of uh, you know um, dysphoria and the opposite. I, I guess I have to say I I, I have I have gender euphoria. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm happy with my my maleness, and I'm working hard to pass that uh, onto my male children. Mm. Um, and I don't mean to make light of things, but but perhaps you could comment on you know, the, 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 the mental illness, uh, situation in our country. We've, we've seen, uh, a lot of change over the years with mental illness and, and, and the, the closure of, you know, the, uh, some of the, the, the state facilities that really specialize in men, mental illness and, and how that maybe plays into, uh, this topic. Yeah. Great question. A great connection. Glad you made that. I think that does play a role in both the, the language, the approach, maybe even in the fear of, you know, what is our role in helping those with gender dysphoria? Because the, you're right, the overall mental illness um, stigmatism still exists, even though there's been great strides, fantastic strides in the last probably 20 to 30 years. And there's a couple of layers to this that come to mind. One, there, you're right, there is sort of a derogatory uh, reticence when it comes to speaking about mental illness, especially your own. But there's also something within the you know the psychological professional psychological world as all as well that had a major fundamental shift in looking at mental illness not as disorder, meaning that here's the order you know of healthy um, sane use of of our of our psychological faculty like there's an order, and when you break from that that's a disorder, and for the early years of psychology and psychiatry. You know, up until you know early seventies, it was nineteen seventy-two. It was an understanding that there's a you know there's an order to a healthy human person, and uh, when there's deviation from that, there's an objective goal to restore health back to that order. Right. Well, since then, we're now at a place where the American Psychological Association uh, refers to mental illness, or they're not disorders. Um, it's really based on self-reporting, you know, what is it that stress in your life and the success of the psychological processes now for mental illness is not any objective sense of wholeness as much as it is a self-reported uh, alleviating of any symptoms that make it difficult to live your life with joy. So extreme subjectivism is also part of our professional psychological world that you know you can't speak about anything being objectively out of order disordered you can only speak to the person and say well how are you distressed now that's one area but to your point if we had you know a uh, a comfort level with uh, mental illness we wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that disconnect between the body and the soul between the body and the mind when it comes to gender right because listen there's, there's four parts here maybe i should have started with this the connection between sex and gender is inseparable, and it kind of flows like this. Sex is in the beginning, right? It is genetic, and the the genotypes, as uh, Julie, our nurse, said earlier, XXXY, that's that's the at the cellular level, uh, the geno genotype 
helps you uh, distinguish between male and female. Then there's the phenotype, P-H-E-N-O, phenotype. The phenotype is how those genes get expressed in the body, whether it's at birth to be able to see genitalia clearly or whether it's secondary sexual characteristics later on at puberty. There's a physiological, and it's not simply turning this on because I have this gene, this is what's going to happen. These not, they're not as determinative as people have said. It turns out that environment plays a role in which genes and whether certain genes get turned on or off. So it's, it's, they call it epigenetics, and it's, it's more complicated than just, oh, you've got this and there. But when it comes to sex, um, everything that has been studied so far, this is the science, is that it is determinative. So uh, there's still study going on. There is nothing. There, the, the whole mapping of the genome found no uh, same-sex gene for homosexuality. There's no transgender gene. Uh, so anybody, people tell you, they're people that are born that way. Um, you need to just remind them you're, you're ahead of the science. And I, I suspect, this is my personal opinion, that we're going to find some epigenetic connection, meaning you know, something that is triggered in certain environmental situations that make it, make it so. But that's just me conjecture. But that's genotype, phenotype, and then is psychological. Gender begins here. How do I accept my phenotype, my body, and my genome? And that's a personal decision, usually around the age of reason, um, in, with the sexual development around six, seven years old, et cetera. And then the fourth part of this is sociological. You know, what are the social norms that express to the community my role in reproduction? So genotype, phenotype, psychological, and sociological. You know, if I walked around in a skirt, people say, Damon, why are you wearing a skirt? If I was in Scotland, they'd be saying, nice kilt, right? That's just a social expression, that, but it does tell to the world, hey, here is my role that I've accepted in reproduction, and, um, and it's essential. So there is an inseparable connection between sex and gender, but according to gender theory, and then later on as this document deals with the technology to assist that, it's that the psychological, the mind, the acceptance of our sex is primary. There's a primacy to my accepting of who I am that even overrides the sex. So now we're getting into the theory. <clears throat> Excuse me. And therefore, the technologies that may or may not be or should or should not be available to help assist that. So if we accept these fundamental principles of a new type of human nature, it's essentially that's what's going on. Not by, you know, nobody's really talking, you know, the big sciences, ontology, anthropology, philosophy here. These are people responding to people in a, in a wound, in a brokenness, in a dysphoria. So in that sense, we have got to do like any professional medical doctor would do, that when someone presents themselves with symptoms and they struggle to describe those symptoms, not to be so simpleton, so simplistic as to simply accept them at their word, but we try to hear what they're really trying to say. We get to the real pain point, you know, whether it's the kidney or the liver, whether it's the, you know, just the abdomen is too big. Is it the intestines? Is it the, the esophagus? Is it the stomach? Is the, you know, you, you use your professional wits in order to hear fully what people are describing, but not you know, not to accept the descriptions they have because they don't have the training you have. They don't have the expertise in how the body works. But who would come into a doctor and tell the doctor, hey, doctor, this is how my body works. 
I know you studied medicine. I know you studied the human body. I know we've got Hippocratic oaths and things going back, you know, thousands of years. I know, you know, we've mapped everything down to the genome, but you know, you can't, you can't impose that on me. And, and that's, that's a, a, you know, an adicernum, but a very, I think, accurate description, not of what people dealing with gender dysphoria do. Maybe that's the bad example. That's where the analogy falls apart. It would be someone else in the room, you know, yelling on their behalf as a medical advocate. How about that? A health advocate yelling at the doctor saying, no, 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 it is the wrong body. No, no, no. That's just listen to what they're saying, even though it contradicts everything, you know, objectively true about the body. So we need to do the same thing when we speak about the nature of the human person. This is what the church is doing. This is what the Committee on Doctrine has done. And, um, you know, we got to just the, the beginning part. But I think we got some of the key principles here. And the last the part, just on the technology I want to share before we go, is that technology is good. But its goodness flows from its ability to help the human person flourish. When it's used against it, the technology is not good. So you can't even make a decision about you know, the right use of technology if you don't accept the full truth of the human person. So that's, that's the firmness that we can speak about transgender ideology, but it doesn't abandon the tenderness that we need to call with every person. This has been a delight. My name is Damon Owens, and uh, you're listening to Trending with Timory. And But coming up right now, of course, the best half hour of your day. Stick around for the family rosary across America with Father Rocky. God bless you all.